The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Dr. Maya Sheetreet Klein. I heard her speak at a health conference in Columbia, Missouri, and I knew I wanted to have her on the show. She is the author of a terrific book titled The Dirt Cure, Healthy Food, Healthy Gut, happy child. But she uniquely is a pediatric neurologist, herbalist, urban farmer, and in addition to the English version of this book, it has been translated into 10 languages. She's been featured in major media outlets, the New York Times, NPR, the Dr. Oz Show. She is board certified in adult and child neurology as well as pediatrics. She completed the University of Arizona's Fellowship in Integrative Medicine and now serves on their faculty. Dr. Sheetreet Klein, welcome. Thank you so much. Well, it's not often that we come in contact with doctors who are also so insightful about nutrition. Tell me where you got most of your training in that area. I would have to say that I'm really mostly self-taught. As physicians, we get, if we're lucky, about an hour in our entire medical training of any kind of nutritional education whatsoever. And what really drew me to learning about food in a very in-depth way was that my son actually was sick and had this very intense 10-month period of asthma and really like neurological developmental plateau or even a little bit of a regression. And nobody really had any answers for me in that time. My youngest child, you know, I had two older kids already, but he was really struggling and everyone just said, oh, he's reactive, oh, he's just an asthma kid, oh, you know, he seems fine, and I knew he wasn't. And that really led me into the scientific literature, which is what I'd been trained, you know, where I'd been trained to find answers to the kinds of issues that I saw in my work. And here my son was having these issues. I didn't have any answers. And so I really began to read and read and read and read in the scientific literature. And then that took me also to learning where food comes from, how we were raising animals, how we were raising our food, what was being used on it. And it was a pretty in-depth kind of education and very much hands-on. And ultimately, I discovered my son was allergic to soy as one of the major reasons that he was sick. And um, within days of stopping soy, all of his symptoms improved. So that took me into learning about soy and how we raise it and the kinds of chemicals used on it, like Roundup. And it was a very intense education, and I think that's why I have sort of a more meticulous knowledge than a lot of people might. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you are in neurology and the fact that you focused on children. And I wondered... What have you seen change over the years? We both speak of new normals, and I don't know how many of us are truly spending a lot of time and energy and research dollars on figuring out how we got to this new place. 
Tell me about the changes you've seen or witnessed in your practice. Well, even when I first started in practice, which was about a decade ago, I was finding that children were coming to me on numerous daily medications at particular times of year, especially they could be on steroids for their eczema, they could be on allergy medication, they could be on Miralax for constipation, they could be on some kind of stimulant for ADHD, and on and on. So they might be on four, five, six different medications, but no one would say this is a chronically ill kid. Mm-hmm. You know, this was just like their list of medications, and they were considered to be healthy. And that was even when I first started in practice. But in the past decade, I would say many of my colleagues have observed this as well, that we're really seeing that it's harder and harder to get these kids better. And so what I'm finding is that not only are kids being treated as chronically ill and that we're treating chronically ill as actually normal and healthy now or that we're billing it as normal and healthy, But in addition to that, these kids are less resilient than they used to be even 10 years ago. So for me, what I really came to and the reason that I wrote The Dirt Cure was this idea of dirt, which is being exposed to germs and microbes, eating fresh food from healthy soil, and getting outdoors into nature as kind of the three pillars of health. I mean, not just for children, but for all of us, but particularly to build resilience in kids. Mm -hmm. And it's become harder, especially as parents become more fearful to allow their children the freedom to take risks in nature. You know, there's always a fearful story in the headlines. And there probably is some truth to that risk. But I think that as parents, we have a challenge ahead of us to understand the value in letting our kids free and enjoy the wildness. Absolutely. And, you know, To a great degree, I mean, when we actually look objectively at, because you were saying about the kinds of stories Mm -hmm. that are out there, there's really, to date, it is not considered to be more dangerous now than it was, let's say, 10, 20, or 30 years ago. The kinds of rare events are still very rare where something happens to a child who's out alone, and obviously those are horrible no matter what, but it's it's just exceedingly rare and as rare as it's always been. I think there is concern of stranger danger. There is concern about things like getting hurt and falling and breaking an arm out of a tree or whatever. But I think there's also just, I think the even bigger culprit, keeping us indoors is really like screen time and being overscheduled. Yes. Um, even more than any of those kinds of concerns, the other kinds of fears is really just an hours of homework, right? I mean, all these things which keep us indoors, and that's this sort of hidden way that we've sanitized our lives. And what can really scare parents is the idea of a kid having a fever. Yes. Um, you know, we've become more and more afraid of actually a fever. It used to be that fever of 103 was like a real concern. Now it's like a fever or a temperature of 100, and that's not even technically considered a fever. Wow. So. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Now, you graduated from Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York City, and you graduated with a special distinction in research in child neurology. You were recognized for your work in autism. And of all of the conditions facing children, I think 
One of those that is most concerning to me would be, well, there are several, autism, allergies, ADHD. We've seen a tremendous increase in these conditions. From your experience, at least with your work in autism, what do you think is driving this increase? The increase in autism or in general with chronic illness? Well, I want to talk about chronic illness, you know, the autism, the ADHD, but in particular, let's start with autism. I mean, I think that the issue with chronic illness is actually, as a whole, is that they're all very complex conditions. And we thought in the conventional medical world that we were going to have answers from learning about genetics and gene mapping. And it turned out that after really billions of dollars spent, we've learned very little about how to treat and reverse chronic conditions because there's a real marriage there between genetics, epigenetics, which are kind of like how our genes are labeled and how they're read and translated into our bodies and our structure and how we function, and then our environment. And so really environment is incredibly influential on our day-to-day health and the development and reversal of chronic illness. So I would say we come to the table with whatever vulnerabilities we have, genetically speaking, but ultimately good nutrition, being exposed to germs as opposed to avoiding them, and eating well (laughs) and getting sunshine, being exposed to fresh air and clean water and all of those things, Really, if most kids had those things available to them, I don't think we would be seeing anything like the amount of chronic illness we're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. You spoke about biodiversity as being the new magic bullet when you were speaking at the Como Wellness Conference in Columbia. And as a dietitian, I look at absolutely the loss of biodiversity, not only in our agriculture, but also the gut biodiversity that is related to soil microbe biodiversity and how all of these components are connected to create healthy people. I wonder if you can talk about the role of biodiversity in protecting our health. Absolutely. This kind of comes back to the idea of being dirty, right? And for a long time, we really kind of held up being sterile as the model of hygiene, and therefore of health. And it turns out that all the allergy and all the asthma and all the autoimmune conditions seem to respond really well when we have a more biodiverse microbiome in our body. That's in our gut and on our skin. And it's really interesting because the kind of things that seem to make a real difference are like having a pet. And using a sponge when you wash your dishes instead of a dishwasher, and not using bleach. So all of these kinds of things that we've thought made you dirtier and were less hygienic and therefore less healthy, it turns out that actually lowers the risk of developing infections, lowers the risk of developing asthma and allergy and potentially autoimmune conditions. So biodiverse organisms strengthen our immune system strengthen the health of our gut, our immune system, and therefore our brain, because the brain is sort of actually a downstream organ and depends upon the health of the gut and the gut microbiome with all the different organisms in it. Yeah, and you've got a great section in your book that spends time 
looking at how soil microorganisms even make us happy. Mm, yeah, and so there's a whole concept of psychobiotics now where we are finding that there are particular organisms, especially found in the soil, but not just soil organisms, that might reduce anxiety, might improve depression, and improve mood, might help focus. So what we're learning now, and, and this is actually being developed as we speak, are that there are certain organisms that might end up replacing the pharmaceuticals that are out there right now to adjust mood and memory and focus simply with a particular bacteria that's, that will influence our neurotransmitters in particular ways. And then we might end up you know, not having to deal with the kinds of side effects, for instance, that come along with pharmaceuticals. So the idea of psychobiotics is really very exciting. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's interesting because there's a section in your book where you talk about how if we have a symptom where more likely to treat it with something, say, that's over-the-counter. We think that if it's sold over-the-counter, it must be safe. But how there is always a risk associated with anything we take. All treatments carry risk, you say. And yet little things like spending time outside, getting exposure to sunlight, those may be as beneficial as many of the preparations we take from over-the-counter drugs. Well, that's what's so interesting is actually like, for instance, there's really fascinating data about something called forest bathing, which is a cultural practice in Japan where people simply go and immerse themselves in the beauty of the forest. And the kinds of benefits are so far-reaching. I mean, they include things like boosting mood, reducing cortisol levels so the stress hormones drop, better sleep, better focus, better executive function, better mood increasing immunity in really important ways, including increased anti-cancer proteins, right? So this really wide range of benefits are all just from simply literally spending time in the woods, you know, going into the forest. I don't know of any medication that even could possibly achieve all those different kinds of outcomes. And certainly with few to no side effects, right, and it's an experience which for most people is pretty joyful, just the experience itself. So I think we're really, we're, we've been unfortunately kind of misguided in the way that we've been thinking about how to maintain our health. And we're also, we, we have to really empower ourselves, I think. I mean, particularly for kids, I mean, as parents, we need to have expectations that when we send our children to school during the day that they're going to have time outdoors whenever possible and that more and more we need to really think about even outdoor classrooms or even like integrating curriculum where kids are actually learning, let's say, math or science but outdoors so that, so that they're benefiting from all of these, all of the different aspects of the outdoors. Like we're learning, for instance, that avoiding sunshine, really avoiding sunshine can have a risk that's similar to to smoking. Mm. You know, the risk of dying is actually similar to smoking when you assiduously avoid sun. So there's all these different ways that we've been limiting ourselves from being out in nature or from having fresh, healthy food, 
and it turns out that the benefits are actually probably the best preventive medicine that we could possibly have. Absolutely. Listeners, if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, where we are joined by Dr. Maya Shetreet Klein. She is an integrative pediatric neurologist. She holds a medical degree from the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York City, and she is the author of a terrific book titled The Dirt Cure, Healthy Food, Healthy Gut, Happy Child. We have a lot of challenges in front of us from a societal perspective and a policy perspective, whether we look at the rules in school with regard to children not behaving, so what's taken away, recess, to the quality of food, to the quality of food that most people have access to. You know, if you're lucky enough to have a garden or have access to a farmer's market and have the resources to have those kinds of foods on your table, the skills to be able to cook, but it seems to me, this is a dietitian's perspective, that so many of us are malnourished. You know, we, we might be walking around with extra weight, but we're really malnourished with regard to the nutrients that we need. And our society does not seem to put value on those. And I think that you, being a physician, could have or do have so much more voice and power in changing some of our policies. And I wonder, what kind of advice can you give us in terms of how do we make inroads to have healthier children? Part of why I wrote The Dirt Cure was really so that people would have a well-referenced but also very accessible and easy-to-read book that kind of compiles a lot of the information. So my book has over 700 references in the back, so that and there are links. Almost all of them are links so that people can find the science behind the kinds of recommendations I'm making. But that said, that's only one way. And I'd love to think that because I'm an MD, I'm able to make massive changes. And certainly it was helpful to have all the media coverage of, of the book because it does get people thinking and it gets it out into the world. But ultimately, we each are very much responsible for creating change. And a group of committed people who will pick up their phone and make phone calls to their elected officials, to their school board, who will go into the school and talk to the principal or the administration, those are the people who are making real changes. And my opinion, because... This isn't just a neutral situation. There's a very active campaign to keep things as they are by corporations that are making a lot of money off of the kinds of food products that are out there, you know, whatever kinds of screen technology there is, pharmaceuticals. I mean, it's not, this isn't really a, a question of, you know, let's say, like conspiracy or anything like that. It's just simply very much the case that there's a lot of money pushing forward the agenda that's been pretty harmful to children and really to all of us. So because of that, the only way that we're going to see change is if we raise our voices as a group. One phone call, two phone calls, three phone calls might not change anything, but a hundred phone calls, a thousand phone calls, that's going to create change. You know, elected officials need votes. Mm -hmm. I agree. And they know that. So 
yeah, they also need money, but they need votes. And so if they have a sense that no matter how much money is being invested in their campaign, that they're going to lose their election because they're not going to have the votes, they're going to do what they need to do to follow what their electorate wants. And I think that's really what we need to remember is we do have power, but rather than commiserating about it or saying we can never make change or the doctor is going to do it or the lawyer is going to do it or somebody else is going to do it, we each have to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think with the dirt cure in hand, we are more able to make those kinds of changes that we need, starting in our own communities. And I want to recommend this book, actually, for parents of young children who are in playgroups. I want to recommend this book to people who are in book clubs where they're looking for a good nonfiction read to understand what is going on with the health of our population because it has shifted, it has changed, not for the better, and we are only facing increasing challenges as corporate agriculture, industrial food production systems become more entrenched. And I want to focus on the gut-brain connection because that, I think, is really your expertise and where the future of nutrition and medicine is headed. And I want to ask you, what do you think is going on in our guts? What is causing leaky gut and the problems with food intolerances that I certainly see much more today than I did 30 years ago when I first entered into clinical dietetics? I mean, I think it's many things. One is just like widespread use of antibiotics, and that's something that you know, because when our bacteria are disrupted in our gut, it disrupts the function of, of the digestive tract and, and the gut wall, which has this very specialized way of protecting the rest of the circulation, the bloodstream, and so on from anything that might cause it to react abnormally, right, that would lead to things like allergies. Mm-hmm. So antibiotics is certainly one. And we're getting antibiotics, don't forget, through antibiotics that are also applied to our produce when it's being grown. Roundup is actually was first patented as an antibiotic, so when we get traces of, of pesticides, that can also act as antibiotic. Or in meat, where sometimes it's actually being treated with antibiotics, and, and then we get traces of that when we eat it. So there's a lot of ways that we have that kind of exposure. Also, we're reducing the acid in the stomach, and the acid in the stomach, we actually want to have very robust acid because it helps to break down the proteins, and it's really the only way we break down proteins into amino acids, and so when we reduce acid, we're actually letting into our digestive tract larger peptides that are called and sometimes proteins that are not well digested, and that also activates the immune system in ways that it shouldn't be activated. Toxins are also another way, and and that can even include additives in food like carrageenan, for instance, which you might see in a lot of different products that are processed. It also can really damage the gut wall and, again, lead to that kind of increased gut permeability or what we call leaky gut that then can lead to allergies and reactivity. So there's a kind of countless ways that we're really disrupting the gut flora because we really only recently have wrapped our heads around how critical it is for both, for not just gut health, but also for immune health and even brain health. Now we're really kind of having to backpedal because we got very floppy 
you know, in a sense with how we've allowed our bodies to be treated and the kinds of exposures that we've allowed. Mm-hmm. And you've got a great section in the book on just how to make small changes to the diet that will have a great impact. There are a few recipes in here, but every single chapter is, as you say, well-referenced, mostly with references to the National Institutes of Health, which is one of my go-to favorite sources. And you've also got take-home messages and tips. So it's, it's a really easy-to-digest book. Lots of rigorous information boiled down into news every consumer can use. Now, in the few minutes remaining, I want to give you a chance to talk about the Terrain Institute that you founded, and you are teaching something called Terrain Medicine. What is that? Well, it's this idea that our health is really not limited to just what's going on inside of our bodies, which we would call our bioterrain, but also it's connected and in alignment with what's going on outside of our bodies or our eco-terrain. So that includes things like the germs we're exposed to and our microbiome, and the food that we eat, and our time in nature, and having clean water and getting sunshine and all of those things. So a lot of people wanted to understand how can we really implement this in our lives and with clients or in our practices. So I've started to train people both in the health fields and outside of the health field in how to implement these kinds of changes and the kinds of benefits that they can see And we actually are right now training our first group in this concept of terrain medicine. I think it's fantastic because it's holistic. And you're described as an integrative pediatric neurologist. Is that what you mean by integrative, that you're looking at this holistic system, including our environment outside as well as inside? Yeah, absolutely. It's both how I look at the body as not just for me as a neurologist, I'm expected to just look at the brain and the nervous system, but for me, I'm looking at everything from the gut to the immune system to the endocrine system because everything's connected. And if I only looked at the brain, I would never be able to help the kinds of chronically ill people that I'm seeing. At the same time, integrative also means integrating different kinds of approaches to healing, So I'm looking at food, I'm looking at nutrition, I'm looking at botanicals, I'm looking at nature, I'm looking at mind-body. So there's a kind of integrating is integrating it on both ends, both in how you look at illness and how you treat illness. Yeah, I wish that every physician would come into speaking with their patients with this kind of insight because I think we would see a lot healthier individuals. And I I just want to mention an acknowledgement that you have in your book where you describe your father's 10 siblings who understood the intersection of food, spices, and love. (laughs) It's really beautiful. We just have one minute left. Do you have a charge for our listeners? I think that the biggest thing that we all can do is actually just get outdoors and connect with nature and to really remember that whether it's through the food that we eat or the time that we spend outdoors, that we're in this sacred relationship with the natural world. Every time we put food in our mouths, every time that we're walking around outdoors, and when we acknowledge that and we're in alignment with the natural world, then we're all going to be more healthy. 
That's a great send-off message. Thank you for that. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Maya Shetreet-Klein, pediatric neurologist, herbalist, urban farmer, and author of a terrific book titled The Dirt Cure, Healthy Food, Healthy Gut, Happy Child. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you. Thank you.